Welcome to this special bonus episode of the Passive House Podcast. I'm Zach Semke, Director of Passive House Accelerator, and we're pleased to be sharing a series of bonus episodes recorded at FiusCon 2022 in Chicago. These interviews were made possible by generous support from StoCorp and Zola Windows. In this interview, Passive House Accelerator's Director of Publications, Mary James, interviews Lois Vitt Sale of White & Company. Enjoy. Sale. Sale. Lois Fitzsale. And you're a Senior VP Chief Sustainability Officer with White & Company. Yep. And which is based here in Chicago, right? It is. And um, so you came to the FIAS conference. You're going to be a keynote speaker. You're doing the closing plenary keynote. Yes, I am. Want to give just a little taste of what you're (laughs) going to be talking about there? Well, I'm in really um, esteemed company with Laura Nettleson and Katrin Klingenberg and Gabriella Martin, and um, I think together we're really going to talk about the imperative for us to take continue holding the torch um, for really aggressive strategies to try and sort of. Um, conquer this issue of climate change and, you know, re- reducing the worst impacts of it, um, built on a foundation of our careers. Because I think at least Laura and I and Gabrielle, if you added up all of the years that we've worked in this industry, we have contributed to the changes that have been um, promulgated that have led to this moment in a high I think we're at a high at a high point on the wave. Um, early, I've been working since 1988 in this field, and um, I think for years we felt I felt that I was just was I going anywhere? Couldn't mm-hmm. see the horizon. Mm-hmm. I think we're I think because of technologies and because of a lot of perseverance and stubbornness to maintain um, direction and trajectory that there have been amazing advancements forward. And so part of why I'm presenting at this closing is because I really want people who are up to their boots in this industry to know that that perseverance coupled with optimism and um, and intelligence are really required for us to get to go where we need to go. Absolutely. I mean, and it's is easy to sometimes feel like the progress is, you know, one step forward, two steps back, two steps forward, one step back. So it's great to have a perspective that we are actually moving forward. Yeah. I mean, you know, I can remember distinctly in my career thinking there was no way we would be able to do a net zero energy building, right? It just wasn't a possibility. I remember the early days when I got to put my first solar on buildings, you know, back in the early 2000s. And it was 8 to $10 a watt installed. And I got to, it was more like jewelry on a building. We were lucky if it offset the lighting package on the building, right? And now to be able to say on an annual basis it can offset all of the energy is a marvelous thing. And it has to do with people being willing to be early adopters. It has to do with um, 
being part of a network and a community that you don't think ever about being in isolation in terms of um, your career, but really you're part of a community. And how do you um, how do you be part of a positive um, um, kind of kind of like it's kind of like water torture. <laughs> can't ever turn it off right? right you have to continue that that incredible energy to for momentum to create the momentum but then when you do being able to look back over your shoulder and say wow we've come a long way we have a long way to go but we wouldn't be here if there weren't many of people in my community who like me have been um doggedly moving forward one project at a time so um prefer to think of it as kind of tidal forces rather than water torture, but okay. Um, the, um, it depends so, on who the audience is. Right, sometimes so. they think it's tidal and other times they think it's torture. You try and do it with a smile. I'd rather have this surfing analogy, but anyway, how did you get interested in sustainability? Like what first brought you in that direction? Um, well, all the way back in my architecture uh, days, my favorite project in school was a passive design. Really? Um, that's, in school, yeah. That's exciting. And it was, yeah. And how did you think about doing a passive design? Or well, was your... it was a, I mean, honestly, I still remember the project. It was to design a monastery, and the monastery had certain rhythms during the day, and I remember designing the building like a clock that was responsive to the sun. And, um, and when I got to practice, there was no, there was no vernacular towards how you make that happen. That was back in the late '80s, and then um, in the early in the in the late '90s, I was brought after a maternity leave to come back to my um, office with White and Company to do what turned out to be one of the first pilot projects to receive LEED certification anywhere. We were one of the first twelve pilots. And um, I was so um, I was so happy and so inspired by the vocabulary of sustainability that was promulgated by USGBC. Um, I went to the first member summit in 1998 with uh, my project um, team members and we said, pick us, pick us, we want to be a pilot. And that, um, that really ended up being a lightning rod for my career that I never abandoned, you know, and it just has been a... Um, it's, it's great when you find yeah. something that, you know, it, it brings out what you wanted to be able to express anyway, right? Exactly. I mean, exactly. your interests were there already, but right. gave you the language, a vehicle for doing that. Right, and when you're a young designer and you come into this field... If there is no kit of parts and no way forward, you're part of a cog of, I mean, this is a team sport building industry, right? right? And so the fact that USGBC um, brought together all these people with similar interests and that we didn't, there were no, there were no um, white roofs. There were no um, dual flush toilets. There were not, there was no LED lighting, you know, but all of the innovations that have happened in the 30 years uh, that this has been going on has been really amazing. And so it's having an audience that the building industry can go to to put these things in place, you know, made everybody be able to take that step forward. Right. 
And so let's flash forward a couple of decades, and you have done two passive house buildings. Yes. Um, and they don't fit the typical typology for early passive house projects. So can you tell us about both of them? Yeah, so both of them are located here in Illinois, and they're both activity centers, rec centers. They're for park districts, and... Um, I was, there's a, we have a very unique grant in the state of Illinois that gives, at the first building, gave up to a million dollars for um, projects that could achieve net zero energy verification. Wow, that's great. I mean, that's not chunk no, change. No, it's not. And then they grew it to two million dollars wow. because they, was, they deemed it wasn't um, enough to actually pay for the premium because this grant would pay for not only the solar infrastructure but also the underlying improvements in um, efficiency in the underlying building to drive down consumption to make overhead solar possible. So the grant had as its requirement for application to be either Passive House certified or receive certification through ILFI. And I have done both. Wow, that's great. And I have to say that doing my first passive house for the rec center, the first rec center, made me a huge fan of passive house because um, to drive down real energy use in the underlying building is so critical to net zero energy. It's a building block of net zero energy. It's not just about putting solar overhead. Right, right, absolutely. And so, and to watch um, how a passive house building performs. Because the other thing that's magic about net zero in tandem with passive house is that you have to stick around. You know, I'm a designer. Most of our careers, we get to occupancy, we shake hands with the owner, and we say, we'll see you later. We really hope you love our building. Mm-hmm. But in a passive house, in a net zero energy building, you have a 12 month period that has to prove itself out, which means every month you're watching the building, how it performs. And that means you're getting insight into a lot of things, not just architecture, architecture one of them, but mechanical systems, how solar arrays work, how a building um, owner might change occupancy patterns, all these things that contribute to that performance. And the incredibly beautiful thing about a passive house building is it really delivers on its underlying comfort and efficiency. Were there any surprises? The surprise was the 48-hour period in which we turned off the building over a Christmas holiday and the building only drifted six degrees down when it was 10 degrees outside. And that is such a crucial factor with so many, you know, extreme weather events that we've been having. Yeah. It's really, I mean, I'm happy to hear about it. And it is one of the characteristics of Pastor House that I think are, uh, is undervalued. Yeah, and, and they're comfortable. They really are more comfortable. And so to be able to know, like I've ha- I have, in both of my buildings, one building hasn't achieved verification. The other one achieved it in its first 12 months. And they're not that different buildings because they're both made out of precast. They both have super insulation as required. They both have low window to wall ratio, but one had an owner that was really focused and paying attention. And the other, it was their first big building. They didn't have the sophistication of the second owner. And so they didn't know all the nuances of 
the incredible attention, and we didn't either, to be honest. I mean, this was our first net zero energy building, and so unfortunately, these owners were a little bit like the canary in the coal mine, you know. Um, but so they weren't as attentive to, right. you know, schedules of maintenance and right. operations. Right, and and the second one um, owner was dialed in really knew how to monitor and modulate the operation, looked at humidity profiles inside, CO2 levels, outside air dampers, all the mechanical things and occupancy schedules. And and this owner was really on top of it. But the passive house story is the same across both. Both owners are incredibly grateful and acknowledge how efficient the buildings, underlying buildings are for passive house because passive house is about passive design. It's not about the mechanical systems. So I have to ask you, do either of the buildings have swimming pools? No. No. Because that is a complicating factor if you're trying to put a swimming pool inside a passive house. It's been done, but it is complicating. Yeah, these have gym floors, Mm -hmm. so they do have, they have humidification issues in the winter right Mm -hmm. and so and what I found out is that mechanical systems are designed to keep people comfortable they're not designed to keep people comfortable at the lowest expenditure of a KBTU and so there's often these little operating assumptions inside the way the mechanical system is set up that isn't necessarily going to deliver efficiency and so they're like you know, this is how much air we're supposed to deliver. This is the time that gas comes on if gas at a certain temperature, if gas is part of the building. And they are for both of these, even though they're a very minor amount of the overall operating. Um, and so you have to sort of know the mechanical systems really well and know where the buried um, efficiencies can be in order to modulate the system so that it performs the way it needs to perform to get to net zero energy. So is your firm doing other, um, are they going on to do other recreational facilities? or? Um, you know, if we will, and we will do more passive house buildings coming into the future. We have a couple of certified passive house consultants on our staff, and um, we know a lot about net zero energy. We're actually now doing a another building that's pursuing ILFI certification. It's a... It's a an animal care facility for um, a forest preserve here, and it's an interesting dilemma because it operates almost like a medical building in that it needs a lot of outside air because of the health of the animals they care for. Right. So the, the energy intensity profile is very different in this building, and that's where the predominant energy is going, not through the envelope. Uh-huh. Right. So, yeah. But I'm a fan of Passive House. Well, clearly. Um, And um, just briefly, can you say what other types of buildings um, your firm works on? Sure. So White does design and build Mm -hmm. projects, and we do mostly public sector. So a lot of K-12 schools, um, a courthouse, Lots of facilities for forest preserves, park districts. We do corporate interiors. So really, our, our company is about 200 people in full in engineering and design and construction, and we've been around since 1939. Well, thank you very much for stopping by and um, 
I hope your keynote uh, presentation really fires people up. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. Thank you.